When God issues a promise, God is dependable and can be counted on. The days are surely coming. Jeremiah uses this phrase 16 times. It's one of his favorites. The days are surely coming. And sometimes he uses it in ways that encourage people. Unless you're like the Babylonians, in which case the days are surely coming is not necessarily a good thing. Uh, assuredly, Jeremiah says, the days are coming when I will punish the images of Babylon. Her whole land shall be put to shame, and all her slain shall fall in her midst. This is not necessarily the kind of thing you would want to hear if you were a Babylonian, but Jeremiah is also very good at using this phrase to talk about the positive aspects of God's promise. In our own text for today, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. Jeremiah is talking around 600 B.C., so roughly 2,621 years ago, the prophet Jeremiah is, is prophesying. And he's doing so in a particular time, the time in which the Jewish people who had been ruled by David's dynasty for a long, long time, that dynasty was about to come to an end. The dynasty of David begins in about 1,000 B.C., and ends in about 586 B.C. If you go to the Holy Land, you will maybe see this statue of David. It's a controversial statue. You will notice that David's nose has been knocked off in this particular statue. It's on the way to the tomb of David. It's on the way to the site that is often referred to as the, the upper room, the, the place where Jesus and his disciples met. But if you are an ultra-Orthodox Jew who believes that no graven image should ever be made and this guy is put in the old city of Jerusalem, you may not be happy. So the last time I was in, uh, in Jerusalem, they had painted David gold because there was so much graffiti that had been put on him. They tried to destroy him, knocked off his nose, but the, the statue is still there, and you can still see it today. But King David, around 1,000 B.C., anointed by Samuel. In those days... Jeremiah says, and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Some of you who do yard work will recognize that even when you think something is dead, even if you think it is as dead as a doornail, then Sometimes you can go back and you can find that life is more powerful than death. You can cut a stump down and suddenly all of these branches are coming up out of the stump. And what Jeremiah is saying is that what seems like a stump 
this dynasty of David and his son and his son's son and his great-great-grandson, what, what seems to have come to an end has only temporarily come to an end because a righteous branch will arise in the land. Now, when we think of God's promises, we want God's promises to happen immediately. We've come in our society to think that you ought to have instantaneous gratification. I want to be happy, and I want to be happy now, and I want what I want, and I want it now. And I'm that way. I will admit I'm that way. When, when I first signed up for Amazon Prime, two-day delivery, I thought to myself, I've got to wait two days? I just get in the car and go to, to a local Dollar General or, or Walmart or some, some local store. I can get it today. Today, we want things immediately. We get a headache. We pray that God will, will help us get rid of our headache, and we want that answered instantaneously. But I want you to pay attention to just this huge span of time that we're talking about here. David's dynasty goes from 1000 B.C. to 586 B.C. In 586 B.C., there is this utter disaster. The Babylonians march in, and they take all of the royal family. They take all of those that, that have skills and all the craftspeople, and, and they redistribute them all over the ancient Babylonian empire. And it's not until 7 to 4 B.C., when the birth of Jesus takes place, that this prophecy issued... 600 years earlier begins to take on flesh, begins to take on shape. We're not talking about an instantaneous promise fulfilled. We're talking about God working through human history. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which Jerusalem, this newly restored city, will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So, my point is that God is moving in the grand narrative of history from, from the anointing of David by Samuel around 1000 B.C., to the words of Jeremiah 400 years later, to the destruction of Jerusalem, to the birth of the righteous branch, spans a thousand years. And God is active in it all. God is active in the anointing of David. God is active as the prophets are called to the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. God is active as the poets write the Psalms, as those gifted writers write Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. God is active all throughout this thousand years, but hold on to the promise. The promise isn't fulfilled in an afternoon. The promise isn't fulfilled even in a single lifetime. The promise takes a thousand years. Jerusalem, the place where God chooses to dwell, then takes on a new name. The Lord is our righteousness. 
Not all of the accreditations that we have, not all of the letters behind our name, not what we know or where we've been born or, or what part of the world we grew up in or what language we speak. It is God who is our righteousness, which is the essence of the gospel, that in Jesus Christ, God is reaching out to human beings. And it's promised. It's promised. Over the long term, in the big scheme of history. Now let's look at the gospel text. The gospel text that we saw earlier in 30 to 33 AD, Jesus speaks, and when he speaks, he speaks in a the days are surely coming kind of way. He speaks with that authority that we see of someone who is speaking on behalf of God. And in Luke, you heard this morning, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. I've said this before, and I will say it again because I am an ancient Near Eastern nerd. I love ancient Near Eastern history. I love the idea of the cosmology of the ancient world. If there's one thing that a people that are tent dwellers out in the desert looking up at the sky night after night after night will notice, it is the changing of the moon with each passing day. It is the constellations that appear in the wintertime, in the springtime, in the summer, in the fall. They know. They know which stars appear and when they appear. And so that which is unchanging in the, in the heavens, the, the sun, the moon, the stars. And so when Jesus says there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, Jesus is saying that which the people of the world consider to be unchanging, those things may well change. And on the earth, there will be Distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. The Israelites were not a seafaring people. That's the Philistines. The Philistines are there on the Mediterranean Sea. The Israelites felt that the sea was, was the source of chaos. In fact, in chapter 1 of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, the whole creation can be described as God taking nothingness and disorder and bringing our world out of that. Bringing order from chaos. Bringing that which makes sense from that which has no sense. If you consider Genesis chapter 1 of the creation of order out of chaos, then several chapters later in Genesis 6 when we get to the flood narrative, the waters come back in and bring chaos to that which has been ordered. The flood is an uncreation, whereas the creation precedes it. So we have the uncreation of the creation, which is then recreated. But Jesus says there will be distress among the nations confused by the roaring of the sea as, as chaotic circumstances arise in society. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory. 
Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So, just as in Jeremiah and from David on to the birth of Jesus, we see the grand sweep of God's activity in the world through Israel bringing us the Messiah. This grand sweep of the the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus will culminate in some point in the Lord's return. The Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He will come again to judge the quick and the dead. In this world following Jesus' appearance, we are waiting, we are waiting for the long haul for Jesus to return again. Now just as there were a thousand years from David till the righteous branch, just as there were 600 years from Jeremiah's prophet until the Messiah was born, there's been not quite 2,000 years of waiting, sometimes impatient waiting, for the risen Christ to come in victory. We've been around long enough, many of us, that we've seen many people say, well, the Lord's going to come back on October 16th, 2014. And we all know what foolishness that is. The Bible itself tells us that we don't know the day or the hour. But what we do know is that God is not bothered by the passing of time. God is not bothered by the rising and falling of kingdoms, and God is not bothered by the impatience of us on the ground. God is working. God has a time. And God has a plan. So our gospel text this morning reminds us that when everything we know falls apart, and the days are surely coming, when everything we know will fall apart. That God's promise, God's promise that's bigger than my lifetime, that's bigger than four or five generations on either side of me, God's promise will be fulfilled. In the meantime, how might we live? Jesus says, be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life and that day catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. I don't know if the Lord will return 25 hours from now, 25 days from now, 25,000 years from now. It may be that God just allows the sun to explode and engulf the solar system in some far-off time that we can barely even conceive. But I do know this. God calls His people to be alert. When we think about the the, the vast quantity of time from, from the beginning to the end, when we think about 
what a small sliver of that time your life and my life occupies. I, I think of Bishop Will Williman, who was offended when he went to a funeral. He says, the preacher hardly preached about the deceased at all or even recognized that he simply said to all of those in attendance, be ready, are you ready? You should be ready because just as he's lying here, you will too one day and you don't know when that day will be. You might leave the funeral today, cross the street and get hit by a bus. Your arteries may be filling up faster than you know. And you may have mere days to get ready and be alert. Bishop Williman said to his wife, I was offended by that. That's just not, not the time, not the place. Ms. Williman says, why do you say that? Well, he, he should have honored the deceased, the bishop said. Ms. Williman said, well, he did, if you think about it. I just wasn't ready for him to say, be, be ready, be prepared. Ms. Williman said, I'm sorry, but you know he's right. You know he's right. Be alert. All of us, whatever little sliver of time we occupy between the very beginning and the very end, God has given this to us, and we don't know. We don't know. But we do know that God calls us to be alert. God calls us to be ready. God calls us to be faithful and watching and waiting knowing that in some way we are participating in God's plan for the world. In this brief span of time that we call life, God offers us the opportunity to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength to love others as ourselves. In this brief sliver of time, God offers us the chance to live with an awareness of his glory, an awareness of his sovereignty, an awareness that he keeps his promises. Over the whole span of human history, he keeps his promises. And we, you and I, we get to be a part of God's activity in the world. And Advent... Advent means coming. We celebrate three different tenses. The past tense, God has come. The present tense, wherever two or three are gathered, uh, among us here, Jesus is present with us in, in the present tense. And the future tense, Jesus will come again. This is Advent. Being ready. Watchful faithful, waiting. May we have a holy advent in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, when we think about how you've worked in history over thousands of years promising Abraham that his seed would bless all nations, promising David that a member of his household would reign over your people forever. 
when we think of the cry in Bethlehem, the nails hammered into your son's feet and hands. When we think of the empty tomb, the Holy Spirit coming down and bringing the church to life. When we consider your call on us, it's astonishing that you know our names and that in the breadth and width of all that you do, you know the number of hairs on our heads. Give us grace to live as those who believe in your promise. In Jesus' name, amen.